Well, hey, folks, this is Lisa Anderson. Before we get started with today's episode, we want to let you know about some free resources that we have available for you. And in fact, some of you who've been around a while know that these exist, but some of you newbies maybe aren't aware of them. Uh, We are passionate about helping you prepare for a godly marriage. And so we have two short booklets to help you do just that. They are A Girl's Guide to Marrying Well and A Guy's Guide to Marrying Well. So go to Boundless.org, search for 794 to get these. Uh, signed up and in your email box, and you can also check the link for them in the show notes. You won't want to miss these great resources. Well, hey, folks, welcome to this week's episode of The Boundless Show. This is Lisa Anderson here with you, and as I often like to do, Uh, Let me give you a little preview of where we are going here. Later on for our inbox, we have a listener who has some big decisions coming up and is wondering if fasting is going to be helpful for them in this process. So our friend, Pastor Mark Bates, is going to weigh in on that. And then for our culture segment, Jamie Stewart is a professional organizer. She will be discussing the importance of decluttering your life. Hello, spring. And um, offer some ideas for living a more organized life and one that maybe you can kind of breathe and gather your wits about you uh, heading into the rest of this year. So stay tuned for that. Well, here we are for our roundtable and I get to welcome uh, two friends to the table. And in addition to them being friends, they are also pastors. So they got to watch, watch their behavior, you know, for this next 20 minutes. Um, So welcome to Mark Bates and Vince Hoppy. Hey guys. Hi, Lisa. How are you doing, Lisa? Doing okay. Thank you. Thank you. So this is, we thought, in fact, um, John, our producer, and I were sitting around, and I don't even know what prompted the conversation now, but we were like, we need to have a conversation around grace. And I mean, that's a big topic, not like we can exhaustively Mm. (laughs) discuss it in 20 minutes, but I thought it would be fun to bring two pastors to the table to talk about grace, because I feel like every time you mention grace... You immediately get from people, young and old alike, okay, but grace is good, but let's not get too crazy, or, you know, there's going to be qualifiers to it. And so I would love to throw out there, if one of you maybe wants to take a stab to begin with, um, if someone asked you to define what God's grace is, how would you define it? What's the elevator speech for God's grace? Vince. (laughs) so kind of you. All right. God's grace. I, I would say it is... God's unmerited, saving unmerited favor, which brings a sinner out of the estate of sin and misery and into a relationship with himself, into salvation from beginning to end. Mm-hmm. And so I even like cringed a little bit. It's like, you know, those qualifiers, grace. And then mm-hmm. like, if you have to start getting qualifiers immediately, <laughs> mm-hmm. you may not understand it. Yeah. So. Which is where I think a lot of people are, because I think we want to... One, you know, we think about the other people. It's never us, but, you know, there's often someone else that we're like, okay, well, God loves you, but don't get crazy, you know, or don't be. And so we'll we'll say something like that. Or we feel, you know, I feel like this is very common, even among Christians, we want to bring something to the table. So this idea that God is doing 100% and we've contributed zero, whether it's to our own salvation or our own righteousness before God or whatever, um, it's just hard to not have the tally sheet. And so (laughs) I think it's a tricky place to be. All right. So what about, speaking of qualifiers, 
We sometimes think, you know, that grace, and this is why people have so many problems with the term, that this is just going to allow people to keep sinning um, because, hello, you know, God is so gracious. He's just going to keep forgiving you every Mm -hmm. time you repent. But why is that a false um, assumption and wrong thinking about grace? Yeah, I I think it it misunderstands grace in the sense that they think of grace as license, as grace as, as I can just do whatever I want, and it assumes that I don't want to please God. If you're a person who's been born again by the Holy Spirit, you have a new heart. Your new heart desires to please God. Uh, and so the analogy I would have to it is is like, what if the only reason I'm faithful to my wife is because I'm afraid she's going to shoot me if I'm unfaithful? I mean, you know, I, I don't think <laughs> yeah. Trisha would be honored by that. You know, I think she, she wants to know I'm faithful because I love her. Mm-hmm. And, and so the same thing with grace. The more we understand grace, the more our heart is going to be warm towards God, the more we're going to want to please him. Hmm. That's good. So what would you guys say, um, you know, that's one big misconception I think a lot of people have about grace. What would you say are some of the other misconceptions you've heard as people talk about grace or its implication in our everyday lives or how we walk it out? What are some of the other landmines around the term? Yeah, so Mark talked about the, the license side, but then there's also the legalism side where I think a lot of uh, our, especially here in Colorado Springs, we're probably more tending toward toward legalism than anything else. And I think what ends up happening is is we start to have those qualifiers. We're like, yeah, God is gracious, but now that I have gotten this life or I've gotten my sins forgiven, now I've got to get my act together. Mm-hmm. And I think that misses the point. And Sinclair Ferguson, this theologian, will talk about like grace really uh, is is a vital relationship, or we talk about union with Christ. And Mark hits it hits it on the head where he says it's like that relationship he has with his wife. You want to please her, you want to give bring her joy, and so there's a change of the heart that you want to do those things. And when we think about legalism. You start feeling superior because, you know, you've got your act together. You you compare with everybody else. And so I think that's an area that we start to feel uh, how legalism creeps in. And the way we combat that legalism is remembering how do we get there in the first place. Mm-hmm. As a Presbyterian, I want to say it is an act of God's free grace, mm-hmm. wherein all our sins are forgiven and we are accepted as righteous mm-hmm. with God. Mm-hmm. And so we have this vital relationship with God and Jesus Christ. And so... That's powerful. And so every day mm-hmm. I need to be feasting and just kind of, I don't want to be too crazy here, but like, but you need to be getting drunk off of that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's where you need to be going. Uh-huh. That Jesus Christ, abundant love. This is the abundant love of God mm-hmm. for you mm-hmm. and him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, here's the irony. The more we go towards legalism, actually the less holy we become. And, mm-hmm. and Paul makes this case in the book of Galatians. In Galatians chapter 2, he links the keeping of the law uh, with the, the deeds of the flesh. And it has the spirit with faith. Then you get to you know, Galatians chapter 5, and it talks about the deeds of the flesh and the uh, fruit of the spirit. What leads to the deeds of the flesh is not trying to be bad. It's actually putting that law and saying, by my self-effort, I'm going to obey so I can earn God's favor. The more we understand grace, actually the holier we live because... 
the power of the Holy Spirit is unleashed in our lives. Without the Holy Spirit, you cannot live a holy life. What uh, activates the Holy Spirit is living by faith that I am righteous, that I'm holy, that I'm blameless in Christ. That's what produces the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think you said it. You, you just hit this idea that that we always talk about, like legalism and license mm-hmm. are actually twin sisters from mm-hmm. the same mother, mm-hmm. which is I do it myself. Right. Mm-hmm. There's no savior in either of those of those ditches, you know, mm-hmm. um, except for the self and your own effort. Whereas union with Christ is God's grace in yeah. Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. So I think that, and you guys have, have kind of started touching on this a little bit, but I'd like to go in it a little bit deeper in the sense that a lot of people will say, yeah, you absolutely need grace for salvation. I mean, you've got a, you have a record that has to be cleared. You need your ticket into heaven. You need God to do something on your behalf. But then as you're walking out the Christian life, and of course, you know, they'll bandy about, you know, sanctification and other words, then you better start like working at it because God wants you to obey and you need to obey. I love, I'm actually reading right now a book by a friend of mine. In fact, Mark, you may have endorsed it, Lay It Down um, uh-huh. by a guy named Bill Tell. And he talks very much about how um, how that's not the way it works. It's not like a two-edged sword of like, first you get some grace for your salvation, but then you got to throw in some effort on the back end. Um, so talk a little bit about what then after you're saved what does it look like as you're talking to a person about that transformational nature of grace that allows you to then mature in Christ throughout the rest of your life? Yeah, so I think the whole idea that you begin by grace and you continue by works is exactly why the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Galatians. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's how you began, so walk in him. Mm-hmm. And uh, I feel like the first two chapters are like so repetitive. Like, yeah, I, you yeah, know, it's like, yeah. wow, are we still not getting this? I guess we're not. We're not. Wait, didn't I just read this verse? There it is again. Okay. There it is yeah. again. Then you go to Romans. Someone said Galatians is Romans written mad, you know? And so it's, uh, <laughs> okay. it's the same idea. And, uh, uh, and, and so the, this whole idea that, you know, I'm going to, there is effort involved. So it's not that we're passive and let the Holy Spirit do it. But the question is, where is the effort? I'm not doing the effort in order to please God. So what has to happen is first there's effort and I've got to marinate in that grace that, uh, that I really am pardoned, that I really am loved, that I really am forgiven, that I am, uh, that God acts, absolutely adores me, not because of my works at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, uh, uh, this old Puritan Chalmers, a uh, Scottish preacher, said, if you put any legalism in there, then you begin to mistrust God because you never know if you've done enough. Hmm. And so you're always going to doubt God's love for you. So you've got to go back to grace and grace alone. And so once we do that, though, I've got to, by effort, remind myself of that. And so that's why we talk about, in some circles, we'll talk about preaching the gospel to yourself every day. You've got to go back to it. And so then I'm, by faith, okay, I'm loved, I'm adored, and I'm accepted. And now I face a temptation to sin. And so when I face that temptation to sin, I'm fighting that by faith. So do I believe that God loves me? Do I believe that he adores me? I've got his law here. Well, I'm going to obey that law now, not because I feel like it, but because I actually trust God. And if I believe that he loves me, then I'm going to obey the law, even though I may not feel like it. So it still takes effort to obey, Mm -hmm. and it takes effort to marinate in grace. But that's different than trying to walk in a way and saying, okay, you better perform. Mm -hmm. Another Bill Tell thing Mm -hmm. was Bill Tell talks about, compares our understanding of grace. We think of it like an insurance copay, Mm -hmm. that that Jesus pays 80% of it, but -hmm. you better do the other 20%. Mm -hmm. And and that's not the gospel. Mm -hmm. 
No, it's uh, like you're saying is like it's all of grace beginning to end that we're that we're in it. And so it, I think it's just a I mean, what does growth and grace look like then on on the day to day? We talk about this cross chart often. Mm-hmm. We, we grow in our understanding of God's holiness and our sinfulness. And the distance between the two is always made up by the cross. Mm-hmm. And we we need to preach the gospel to ourselves day in and day out and this is what paul would have to would say is like this is working out your salvation with fear and trembling for it is the power of god in you both to will and to work um for his good pleasure and then this is this is a good thing and so we work this out it's it's becoming more human more christ-like and so what does it look like in our in our day-to-day it is the dying unto sin and living unto righteousness but it's that vital relationship with the lord that we go back and remember we've got access. He loves us. Mm-hmm. We are a child of God. We're adopted. So. It's funny because every time I get to the point where I think I'm pretty chill or pretty confident or kind of self-righteous about like my spiritual maturity, I always think to myself, to your point, Vince, of like for my average week, if I ask three questions, what do I fear? What do I try to control? And mm. what lies am I believing about myself and God? Wow. That will immediately level everything <laughs> out of like yeah. what I know, the mm-hmm. people I think are like messing with me or whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean, those are the three things where I'm like, even as I think of like, what am I trying to control? The list mm-hmm. that like comes into my head of like just nonsense of like, and not even situations, uh, people um, that need to be doing what I'm telling them to do. And why aren't they doing it? Clearly. Seriously. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. The so, ongoing self-talk. Yeah. Like, I think we have to evaluate that deeply. Yeah. And then the, all the other temptations to try and make ourselves feel better or mm-hmm. like give ourselves a little bit of a high mm-hmm. um, by, by like, I have to do these good things. I've got to check off the list. Mm-hmm. And especially in our area, like I work with a bunch of type A personalities. Mm-hmm. And so, mm-hmm. you know, they're, they've got to achieve. And I'm like, well, what if you don't achieve? Mm-hmm. God still loves you. <laughs> and I'm yeah. Like, yeah. And so. Well, okay. So let's talk about that in the converse, because, you know, we can easily mm-hmm. go to self-righteousness or or that. But there are many people listening who are like, I don't even know how to do this on the daily because I can tell you about three struggles that I have in my life that I fall continuously in. And it might be, maybe it's pornography or maybe it is anger or maybe it is, you know, whatever. And they're just like, does that mean I'm not a Christian? I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, we talk Mm -hmm. about sin struggles and stuff, but what if it's just something that like you feel like, you know, I know people that have like, I have pled to God for victory over this. Maybe it's a same-sex attraction. And they're just like, why doesn't God just deliver me? What does grace look like Mm. applied in that kind of situation? Hmm. Yeah, I I think this sounds opposite. Uh, But part of it, you have to believe you really are forgiven. And uh, that, you know, Jerry Bridges used to say, pardon precedes power. And if you don't really believe your pardon, you're not going to experience the power of the Spirit. So that's where you have to, the, the hard work still goes back to. And instead of what we want to do is say, oh, we want to make vows. Lord, I did that. I looked at porn. I promise you I'm not going to ever, ever, ever do it again. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so what happens then is, again, you're relying on the flesh. And you can't manage your flesh. Mm-hmm. Instead, you have to confess and say, Lord, I did this. This is awful. Don't minimize it. That's another mistake we make. Mm-hmm. We think grace is minimizing sin. No, this was, this was terrible, and I need to see it as terrible. Thank you that Jesus' blood and righteousness is enough to cover that. And live in that, and then say, you know, Lord, strengthen me to do this. But, you know, the, thinking, how much is God going to forgive you? And 
I think oftentimes we think the first time I sin, I pray, I deserve to be forgiven. And so you feel pretty good. Do the same sin again, and you pray, well, okay, he'll forgive me a second time. You do this, and so you go and you do this like seven times, and, and you think, well, by the seventh time, you go forget it. I don't deserve to be forgiven. The problem is not that you don't deserve to be forgiven the seventh time. You don't. The problem is you didn't deserve to be forgiven the first time. Mm-hmm. And if Jesus instructs us to forgive those who sin against us seven times 70, I don't think he's going <laughs> to say, well, you only get three. He's not lowering the bar. He's not minimizing. And so the power still comes from actually believing you really are forgiven in Christ. That's where the Spirit's power is unleashed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I agree with that. Like, So when Paul says he's talking about his thorn in the flesh— that's where we get the verse, my grace is sufficient for you. You know, like that's like understanding that, like, mm-hmm. how do we, like, I just thinking about how um, you mentioned Chalmers and the, mm-hmm. uh, the, the expulsive power of the new affection. Mm-hmm. We never replace one addiction without getting a new one. Mm-hmm. And so we have these like uh, pathways or like just kind of habitual sins or kind of default modes in our heart. And the way the spirit is going to work over time is this new pathway, new affection. And the new affection is got to be this hunger or addiction for Jesus Christ and his gracious love and the intimacy that you have with him. The thing is, is with Paul, God didn't take it away or give him victory. He struggled Mm -hmm. through his life. And where was he finding grace? It was in the merciful grip of the grace of God in the person of Jesus Christ for him, that Jesus Christ's righteousness covers him, that he is an adopted child, he belonged to God, and nothing could take him away. Hmm. And so that's powerful. Yeah. And, and as you struggle and we find ourselves in ditches all the time, there is the Lord is always there to bring us out and then to show, like, that is ugly, that is sinful, and we grow in our disgust of that thing, but then our hunger and thirst is stoked for the goodness of God, and we have to taste and see that he is good. Yeah. Hmm. I um, think that we see, I mean, we'd probably all agree right now in our culture, we see a lot of like, you know, this is all the same Jesus. It's just by different names. And really, there's just a lot of, you know, God's going to give a pass to a lot of people because they're earnest in seeking or whatever. But I think we would say that one of the distinctives, um, probably the most important distinctive of Christianity is grace and mm-hmm. the idea that God did what we could not do. And this this um, ladder of achievement and this ladder of becoming is not something that's part of the main main equation here. So talk a little bit about why that is, why that's an important distinction for Christians to make as they're talking with their friends about truth in the culture today. Yeah. Uh, one time, my grandfather, this is a great story, uh, was going down a wrong way street in Jersey City, New Jersey, to which my uh, father decided to mention, you're going down a wrong way street. To, and my grandfather said, said, no, I really believe this is my way. This is the right way. And I'm, <laughs> I'm doing fine here. And then when the headlights come up the other way over the other side of the hill, you have this stark realization that no matter how sincere my grandfather felt that he was going the wrong, that he was going the right way, he was going the wrong way. Mm-hmm. And so um, it isn't about the sincerity 
mm-hmm. of like a lot of people feel sincere about a lot of things. Mm-hmm. And then we're, we, we're willing to tell them they're wrong. And so here's another area where we're, hey, this is dangerous. And um, no matter how sincere you feel about drinking poison for yourself, mm-hmm. it's going to harm you. Mm-hmm. And so that mm-hmm. isn't, and some people might say, well, that's narrow and, mm-hmm. and different things like that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, wrong or right, that's that's the question here. Mm-hmm. And so I think there's there's some distinctions there. Mm-hmm. Then also, I think Mark brought up the other things like when is enough? Mm-hmm. Like yeah. how sincere do you have to be? Uh, yeah, I, I think like, to the point is just like all other religions, you know, there's no atonement in Islam. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, there's and you don't see this in Buddhism, anything else. Mm-hmm. And so um, Christianity is the only one that offers that that forgiveness because, again, the, the problem is, how do you know if you perform well enough? Mm-hmm. And if you're holding up yourself up to a true, real standard, you're not. Mm-hmm. It's only in Christ. And so the difference in Christianity and these others is that whole point, you know, the, is, that, is that you don't do it yourself. Christ does it for you. But what that results in, all religions are about behavior modification. Mm-hmm. Christianity is about heart transformation. And it's a difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. Well, honestly, um, this is a great conversation, one that we could probably continue. Um, but many of you remember um, Vince not too long ago was on a panel that we did on the importance of church. And actually, his the church he pastors is called Grace and Peace. So he better know what he's talking about <laughs> in the world. So um, and Mark, obviously, a longtime friend who's now very much involved in uh, the work of missions right. around the world. And so mobilizing churches uh, here in the U.S. in particular to to serve um, in capacities in countries across the globe. So thank you guys so much for putting thought to this and, and really contributing to the conversation. I appreciate it. Thanks for having us. Thank you, Lisa. A single precious, a single precious is the that makes me white as Well, folks, we are here for this week's culture segment. We've got a little bit of something different this week, which I know some of you are going to be excited about. And by some of you, I definitely mean myself, because this is like a personal passion of mine. We are going to talk today about spring cleaning and decluttering. Now, I don't want some of you to flatline because you're like, oh, my word, this sounds like 
horrifying. Is this like a good housekeeping article? What is this? No, this is going to be really fun and attainable for those of you who feel like you have stuff that has overtaken your life. You have stuff you don't know what to do with. You just feel like out of sorts. You're always like cleaning and reorganizing stuff. I mean, I know that some of you feel overwhelmed by this. So fortunately, I mean, I would love to say that I'm an expert on this, but I feel like I've been like life time decluttering and it's not working all the time. So I'm bringing in an expert. Her name is Jamie Stewart. She is a fashion blogger. She's a professional organizer. She actually currently serves as the social manager for The Simple Sort, uh, which is here in Colorado. And uh, their services there include uh, home and office organizing. They consult on that. Um, And so she's also a mom. She wrangles four kids. And so she knows what clutter is. And so Jamie, welcome to The Boundless Show. Thank you for having me, Lisa. Well, this is really fun, and I feel like I'm, we'll see how um, honest I can be about my own stuff here. I'm going to talk, maybe I'll have to just talk abstractly and solve all of your problems out there, so we'll see how we do here. But, um, okay, Jamie, so when people think of a personal organizer or they think of, you know, the need to actually bring someone in as a professional, I mean, it, it's like people are like, how desperate do you have to be to feel like you need <laughs> professional help? But what would you say is the common cause of people just feeling like they can't mm. handle this on their own? For sure. I think a lot of it has to do with transition of life. Mm. So we get a lot of people who have recently become empty nesters mm-hmm. and they're just trying to deal with how do I not have kids in my house anymore or we just moved I have a new space I don't know how to organize it I was organizing my other house don't know what to do with this one or even I have my very first home I don't know what to do Mm. or a relative passed away and you acquired a whole bunch of things from them they need help sorting through all that editing it down okay so really life transitions are huge need for organization. Okay. Now, I would imagine that there are some people who are more naturally like better organized, better at keeping hold of clutter than other people. Some people just feel like it can overtake their life. But what would you say as far as um, areas of clutter, areas of life or whatever, what are the common offenders that most people tend to struggle with when it's like, I can deal with this, but I just cannot deal with this? Right. Sometimes they just need an outsider's perspective of, like, how could I better organize my pantry? And, like, we do things like remove packaging. Mm -hmm. A lot of people don't realize how much space that takes up. Mm -hmm. Um, And then there's other things like paperwork. People, especially different generations, really struggle to let go of paperwork. When do I get rid of taxes? When do I get rid of those home papers? Things Mm -hmm. like that. And then there's other things of memories, Mm -hmm. like can I get rid of all these love notes from my husband or these school (laughs) pictures from my children? Mm -hmm. Am I going to miss them one day? So we really, we kind of attach memory to stuff Mm -hmm. when it, doesn't necessarily have to be that way. Okay. That answers your question. Yeah. No. And I think that makes sense. And and since we're talking here primarily to like younger adults, it's interesting because, you know, the 20 something listening, you know, most likely would say, well, what's weird is like, you know, I'm not retired. Why? I shouldn't even have all this stuff. Why do I already have so much stuff in my life? And speaking of memories, you know, they may have just come out of college. Maybe they still are toting around boxes of like schoolwork from, you know, I mean, when you wrote that huge term paper, you don't too easily want to let that go. And even if it's in a digital file, that can be a, a difficult thing to give up or whatever. So what would you say? I mean, especially because we're now 
in spring and we want to think of it as a fresh start, what give an example of if someone's to walk into their apartment and again, you know, we're talking primarily to people here who don't have big living spaces, you know, younger adults, most being single, some have roommates, um, some maybe live at home and all they have to call their own is their own bedroom or bathroom or whatever. Sure. How do they go in and look objectively at the space that they have and assess where do I even start? Sure. I think the best thing that you can do is we have a three-step process. You empty, you sort, and you contain. Mm. And that's kind of, or organize, however you want to describe that. But that's really the basics of any organization project. You have to empty the space. You have to sort it out. The piles can vary from recycle, donate, I'm going to save this. You know, it's going to go in this bin and I'm going to go through it later kind of a thing. Because you don't always have to decide right then and there. Mm -hmm. And sometimes decision fatigue is a real thing. Mm -hmm. And it's okay to put that decision off to the side for a while. But things that you know are broken, don't fit you well, aren't serving you well, those should be easy yeses of I can just let that go. Mm -hmm. Um, Another thing I would say is it's good to early on set boundaries with your stuff. Mm -hmm. And we often have a saying of don't let your stuff own you you own the stuff. Mm -hmm. So anytime you're looking at what you own, is it owning you? Is it not serving you well, but you feel guilty letting it go? That's something to consider. Okay. Because we know that, I mean, obviously in the past uh, couple years, especially since COVID, people like Marie Kondo blew up. And, you know, I think it became like this extreme of like, if you don't get down to only 50 possessions, like, are you even trying, you (laughs) know? And I think people just kind of threw in the towel and and were like, I can't do that, whatever. So finding something that's a little more middle of the road and not being so extreme. Right. But what would be like, what are some common areas of clutter that people overlook as far as types of things that maybe really can go or can be more aggressively sorted through that maybe they wouldn't think are great areas to to start, like areas that can present problems, but people might not think that? We deal a lot with, or we tell our clients a lot, visual clutter is a real thing. Mm -hmm. And we don't often think about, you know, if you look at the store, the grocery store, there's all these different kinds of packages with all these different words and colors. And if that is in your closet or your cupboard or even just on your wall, it can feel very overstimulating to mm-hmm. your brain. So our brains do crave like empty spaces. Mm-hmm. So if you can look at your room and think, what visual clutter do I have that I don't need? Mm-hmm. I think that would do you a huge service. Yeah. Okay, this is where everyone is thinking of the random items of decor that people give them for their birthday. Yes, like yes. women are just like, seriously, like I got another picture or another random you know, item or a memento from some trip I went on. And it's like, you don't have to always display everything, for probably. Sure. I yes. mean, it's because your eyes can't handle or can't keep up with that amount of stuff and and being able to contain that. So yeah, that's a good point. Okay. I do want to turn because I want to give a couple minutes to, and we'll, we'll circle back here, but you are known also um, as a fashion blogger and you, you're an expert, quite frankly, I was reading about you and looking at on Insta and stuff like that about how you have really owned the process of 
consolidating a wardrobe to functional pieces that work and multitask on your behalf. Okay, so first of all, I need you to explain actually what that is, because when some people think of like a functional wardrobe, they're like, well, yeah, I've got that. I only have 400 pieces, you know, okay. (laughs) So talk to us what when you have it in your head, what does that look like? And why is it so important uh, to you to, to make that a goal? Sure. I think the word capsule wardrobe gets thrown around a lot, and Mm -hmm. it's trending a lot right now. Mm -hmm. Um, But I personally like the word intentional more. Mm -hmm. So if I am purchasing my clothes with intention, and I am seeing how these pieces can fit together, even in different seasons, I think it does you a huge service in not having to make decisions every morning. Mm -hmm. And you feel like you're actually wearing what you're you're owning. Mm -hmm. And that is a big problem here in America. We have a lot in our closets and we wear 20% of it. Yeah, that's true. Yes. Okay, so what? Um, give us an example of what would be some good pieces maybe to invest in that could work and multitask for you. Because again, we can think of, we know Steve Jobs did this. He yes. was known for the black turtleneck. We know Mark Zuckerberg does it, which I'm like, we're talking billionaires here right. who wear jeans and various forms of the same hoodie. Okay. Yes. Um, we know other people that have done this and, and have made it work well for them. So give us an example. Cause I feel like you know, all you guys are like, this is like my everyday. That's all I wear is jeans and a t-shirt or whatever. But I feel like women especially have a a harder struggle with this. So maybe for each gender, give an example of like what a good staple wardrobe could look like. Sure. And personal style does play a lot into it. So Mm -hmm. some people, when I say I rely on neutrals as my base, Mm -hmm. so, you know, like white button down shirts and a, or a chambray button down for men or women is always going to be in style and a classic go to you mm-hmm. can pair it with jeans you can pair it with dress pants but some people are like turn their nose up at that and think that is so boring mm-hmm. so you do have to take that into account a little bit and people now say like skinny jeans are out mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. everyone has their opinion i think but you really need to be true to your style and figure out do i really like to wear these things if i don't then i need to figure out what do i like to wear and stick with those as your staples and coordinate and mix and match. Does that make sense? Yeah. I think another thing um, that I've read a lot about lately is investing in more quality pieces instead of a bunch of cheap stuff. And and I know this is great on so many levels because for those who are really concerned about um, sustainable options or concerned about like the way a garment was created, especially overseas in an ethical sense, that's a good thing to be mindful of. But just recognizing that, man, you invest in something that's going to last you a lot longer and you're not just going to be going through the churn and the burn of this piece only lasted me a season and I got to get rid of it because of either style or quality or something. Yes. Um, so that is helpful. Although it's a challenge because a lot of young adults will think like, well, I can't just drop like $300 on this piece of clothing, but maybe it will go go the distance if it's something that's super functional. Yes. I'm very passionate about ethical fashion. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people don't realize the cost per wear mm-hmm. element of their closet. So if I buy the $5 t-shirt from Target, it's I could wear it three times and then it probably won't be something I would turn to anymore because it's pilling and not mm-hmm. fitting well. Whereas if I spend $45 on the organic fair trade t-shirt, mm-hmm. it could last me five years mm-hmm. and still look great and fit well. Mm-hmm. So I think those are things that young people are starting to consider. Mm-hmm. And my generation didn't consider when we were in our 20s. And now we're kind of paying the price for that. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Okay, I want to talk a little bit about um, just 
cleaning and maintaining a clean space in the sense of um, you and I were talking before we started taping about like this vision of our moms and grandmas and spring cleaning used to mean um, when, and you know, I'm talking about like grandma sense here, like when women walked around in dresses and pearls around their homes and whatever, and they were just always cleaning. But it was like washing curtains every spring. It was wiping down cabinets. It was scrubbing floors on your hands and knees. And a lot of, you know, young adults are like, maybe they're working from home or they're just like, what, I mean, what are your best tips for like, one, just keeping up on the daily with Mm. stuff? Like, what does that even look like to stay on top of stuff so that you can like have people over and not have a freak out of like, I need to clean my house for a week in order to make this happen. But then also, what are some things that really you would benefit from giving a deep clean from time to time for overall lasting, you know, impression? Sure. So like I said, creating those habits early is great little things like making your bed every day Mm -hmm. or clearing off kitchen counters like we were talking about earlier Mm -hmm. it really does make the big difference and doesn't seem like it but those simple little things you're already laying the foundation for you're making your home or your space easier to maintain in the long run and the thing about cleaning is people get so frustrated because they have to move things out of the way to clean the thing but if you have an organized space and it's already cleared off you can clean it and it's done. And mm-hmm. half of that work is already done because you're maintaining a tidy environment. Yeah, that's good. That's why when people talk about like, well, yeah, why is it? It just seems like, you know, hotel rooms, you know, people go through and clean these hotel rooms. Well, one, because they're all like cookie cutter, you know, they know the procedure for getting through that thing and they're not working around a bunch of stuff. And exactly. I've known people who've hired house cleaners because they're like, oh, this will solve my problems. But then the house cleaners can't do anything because they're not going to move all your stuff and get really behind stuff and everything. So that is a good point. So why not make it easier for you by um, the kind of that principle of I mean, do you do you think the principle is true that if everything has a place, you know, then it's going to ultimately work better for you? Yes, absolutely. When your home or your space is more functional, it not only is cleaner, but you also have that feeling of I can have people over and not be like, oh, don't open that door, please. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, so talk to us a little bit about, um, because we were just talking earlier with our show engineer, Alex, who Mm -hmm. was being very honest about how, what if you're just like afraid to get rid of stuff? Because what if you need it someday? Mm -hmm. I mean, again, no one wants to go buy and rebuy the stuff. And of course, you know, again, getting back to grandma's, it used to be everything from like plastic bags to foil and stuff. But now it's like, Especially with big box stores and everything, it seems like, you know, here I am, I'm single. Why do I have 48 rolls of toilet paper? But I do because I'm like, oh, it might be a deal or it might be on sale or I might need it. But Mm -hmm. how do we overcome or how do we balance, I guess, being thrifty and finding good deals with actually keeping only the amount of stuff we need? Sure. It is hard and it's different for everyone, for sure. But I would say a lot of things people have trouble getting rid of, like I was saying, have memories attached to them. Mm -hmm. There are some people who, you know, obviously store things because they want to have extra on hand. But Mm -hmm. a lot of that I see people have trouble getting rid of things is, well, my grandma bought that for me and I wouldn't want to disappoint her by getting rid of it or, uh, or that might fit me one day, something like that. But if it's not serving you well now, I feel like you are just not serving yourself presently to Mm -hmm. hang on to it and it's more things to maintain Mm -hmm. because the more stuff you have the more stuff you have to keep track of 
Yeah. Yeah. And it is so funny. I mean, just that emotional connection. I think it was a game changer for me. And I'm not sure if you're a a proponent of this, but I started going through in particular like childhood mementos or like I referenced before the old uh, the blue book essays from school and all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, all I was doing was moving like from move to move. I was just moving tubs of stuff. Yep. I mean, it's not like this stuff is displayed. It's not like I'm looking at it. I'm reading it. Yep. And so what was really helpful to me was to start the practice of taking pictures of things. A good idea. Like I actually had the corsage from my like dance, like a dance I went to in junior high or something like that because I thought it was so like precious and whatever. But it was like this nasty old dried up. <laughs> And I'm like, oh, my word, I've just moved this to like three different homes or whatever. (laughs) So I actually took a picture of it. And now I have it filed in a digital file under that year and just memories from junior high or whatever. And it was so freeing to be able to just toss that in the trash. Or, you know, for some people, it might be a favorite childhood stuffed animal Mm -hmm. or something. And it's like, no one else wants your nasty stuffed animal. It's not like you can donate it. So just take a picture of it and right. go ahead. You know, my one of my friends won a readathon when she was in junior high and she still had the little dog that she won from that, you know, and I'm like, take a picture of it. You don't need right. that dog sitting around your house. So I think it is helpful to think forward in those kinds of ways of making, you know, making those choices because every choice you don't make you know, you're going to have a decision to make later on, I would assume. There is a saying in the organizer community that clutter is just postponed decisions. Mm -hmm. So you're just saving that decision for another day, which isn't to say sometimes that's okay, because there is a lot of emotional attachment to things and, Mm -hmm. and it's okay to put off some of those decisions. But like your pile of mail from the day, Mm -hmm. just make the decision now to toss the junk, file the bills, pay them, whatever, get it Mm -hmm. done today. Mm hmm. Okay. Now to that end, what's a good, um, I think a lot of people are are thinking here too, what about like cluttered cars? Mm. Like what? (laughs) I mean, I feel like a lot of people are living out of their cars. And of course, we're talking about, you know, maybe a young adult is is commuting, or maybe they're just hanging out with friends all the time. And so they just kind of go from place to place and stuff gets tossed around in the car. Is there a quick and easy way to kind of assess your car and go through everything and declutter that? Yes. I do love those car washes now that have the free vacuums. So like once a week, you just, you're going by there, you got to stop, you toss all the trash, vacuum out the car, wipe everything down. And I think that's a really good practice to have that once a week, I clean out my car. Um, There's also totes that are really handy. So if you do find yourself in the car a lot, you know, you keep your water bottles in there, some snacks. Mm -hmm. So you're not always stopping at the fast food Mm -hmm. and that creates more trash. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, there's things that you can do when you assess your lifestyle, find what works best for you Mm -hmm. and go with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really great. Well, give us um, a little idea here, kind of as we, as we wrap up, Jamie, if someone were to ask you why it's good to be organized, how would you answer that question? Because I think a lot of people will associate this with like, well, this is just my personality. This is just how I am. Like, mm-hmm. I don't need to be. I'm a I'm a creative person. I'm a free spirit. <laughs> I'm a whatever. Sure. But then they are kind of drowning in stuff. What would you say is helpful mentally, spiritually, relationally for people when they kind of can, can take control of this area of their life? Sure. So organization 
can save you money and time in the long run. Money because you're not buying extra of something because you can't find mm-hmm. it. And also time because that's something you can never get back. Mm-hmm. So if you're spending time looking for things, you can't get that time back. Mm-hmm. Um, as Christians, from that perspective, it gives us an opportunity to be intentional with our purchases mm-hmm. and intentional with how we store things, how often we use them. And I would say to the person who says they're not organized, it is a learnable skill. Mm. And if you have ever opened a drawer in a kitchen and seen silverware in there, you're already, to some extent, organizing your home. Mm-hmm. Because you un- unload the dishwasher, the silverware goes in one drawer. Whether mm-hmm. there's containers for the silverware <laughs> or not, mm-hmm. you've already established some kind of system. Yeah. So you've proven Hopefully it's to not your... in your laundry room right. or something. Yeah, <laughs> But you've exactly. proven to yourself that you can follow some sort of order and system so it can be replicated in other spaces of your home. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that is, yeah, that's a really great point because I think it is very easy to make excuses. I love, um, a long time ago, I read Randy Alcorn's book, The Treasure Principle, which was so helpful to me in, in understanding that yeah, every the more stuff we have, the more we're going to be cleaning it, caring for it, worrying about it, insuring it, moving it from place to place. And there are so many other things that God would have us be doing with our time and our relationships and our money and yep. energy. Um, it really is a stewardship issue in a lot of ways. Yep. So that's really great. So, well, Jamie, this has been super helpful. Again, you yep. guys, um, Jamie is a professional organizer. She's given us some quick tips here for how to go after this. I think all of you, if we just decide to be in this mindset of like, you know, we're not going to get crazy. We're not going to be all weird. We're not going to be obsessive about it. Mm-hmm. But we just want to, getting back to her statement of we want to own our stuff and not let it own us. So mm-hmm. we can go after this um, together. I also want to point you guys to an article that was written by one of our friends, Abigail Murish, a while back, The Spiritual Practice of Spring Cleaning, um, that she did a really great job on, which might give you a little motivation moving forward. So if you go to boundless.org, just search for seven. And you will see the link to the article there. Maybe that will give you some motivation. So, Jamie, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Lisa. This was fun. Well, folks, as we finish out the show, we open up our inbox, and it's always great when we can bring in an expert on the topic uh, that we are discussing and answering your question, and this week is no exception. We have got our friend, Pastor Mark Bates here. Hey, Mark. Hello, Lisa. Great to have you. And um, this is a really great, uh, great question because, you know, the topic of fasting Mm. is like a tough one, and a lot of people are like, 
dear Jesus, please don't tell me to fast or, you know, but, oh, it's in the Bible. Anyway, so our (laughs) listener says, I have some big decisions coming up this year and have been told that fasting may be helpful. Could you provide some guidance on how to fast, how long, how often, and what do I need to do instead of eating? (laughs) Okay. That's a great question because there are some practical considerations. Uh, First, uh, I'd say, yeah, fasting is is a great discipline, but I think you have to understand what it is. It's not a magic formula. It is not a way to manipulate God. If I just fast long enough, the Holy Spirit's going to mm-hmm. t- come and tell me exactly what I need to do. Uh, fasting is not where, even where you're proving to God your seriousness or anything else. Fasting, what it does, <laughs> hey, it makes you hungry. Okay, and yeah. so, it's not a sanctified weight loss program. No, no it's okay. not a sanctified weight loss program. <laughs> okay, just But what that hunger does is it shows you you need food. Well, in the same sense you need that food, that those hunger pains are to drive you to God and say, you know, I need you every bit as much as I need bread. Uh, I need you more than I need bread. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of the Lord. And so that's that hunger. And so the whole idea of fasting is I am completely dependent on you and and that awareness. And so we're praying out of that dependence. Now, in making a decision, though, that's I still want to get back to this because there's a tendency to think if I fast long enough, hard enough, and God sees I'm serious, he's going to make this perfect decision. And that's not typically how God works. Uh, God calls us to live by faith in, in, in making decisions. And oftentimes we think, well, I'm going to trust God to give me the answer. That's not living by faith. Living by faith is I'm going to walk in obedience with God and making a decision as faithfully as I can with what I know. And so, first of all, that means the decision, this sounds obvious, but I'm going to state it, is you do what's biblical. Um, uh, And again, some people look for biblical justifications to do something sinful. If it's against the law of God, you know it's against the will of God. No big decision. You don't have to fast for that one. (laughs) Uh, But the others, they're they're wisdom principles. And so... um, and so, you know, reading of Proverbs, seeking counsel, getting advice, and praying. And it's not like God, um, there's, there was an old TV show back when I was a kid called Let's Make a Deal, and you had three doors, and, and you didn't know where the prize was. And many people think of God as like he's hiding his perfect will behind door number three, but you guessed door number two, and you just <laughs> lost. Uh, mm-hmm. That's not how God works. If you're seeking him, and you're making the best decision that uh, you can with the evidence he has, and using wisdom principles, like Proverbs, uh, then you can trust that God's going to work. That does not mean you're 100% certain about it. Also, just because your decision doesn't work out the way you think it should, doesn't mean you made a wrong decision. In other words, I remember this years ago, when we were trying to decide whether to come to Colorado. And uh, some people asked me, how sure are you that God's called you Colorado? And I said, about 80%. And they said, really? You know, so you'd be 100% sure? And I go, I've never been 100% sure of anything. Mm -hmm. But what I am sure of is my father loves me. And and because I believe my father loves me, I'm going to step out in faith. And even if it bombs, I'm still okay. Mm -hmm. So make the decision based on faith, trusting in God, and fasting. Use that as a way to say, okay, Lord, I'm hungry for you. Mm-hmm. I, I need you. I'm desperate for you. And uh, and that's what fasting can do for you. Yeah. That's such a great distinction because I think so many people think that being in the will of God means that it's going to be easy right. or that it's going to be like, oh, I'm going to feel really confident about it or it's going to be a cakewalk or it's going to yeah. be, you know, everyone's going to affirm me for this decision mm-hmm. or whatever. And, you know, I don't know. That's not promised. Yeah, that's so. not. Yeah. It doesn't look like <laughs> Hebrews 11 to me. No. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> or Jesus so. or Paul. Or yeah. Yeah. Great point. Well, right. thank you so much right. for weighing in on that. That was great. Well, thanks. 
Well, folks, um, that is it for this week's show. As always, we do want to hear from you. So write to us at editor at boundless.org and maybe we can answer your question on a future show. You can also go to boundless.org and search by topic for maybe questions we have answered in the past. So go ahead and check it out and uh, let us know. Do write to us or find us on social and let us know um, really if the answer was helpful and any feedback you may have. We would appreciate it. So that is it for this week's show. I will We'll see you around next week. It's Lisa Anderson for The Boundless Show. The Boundless Show is a production of Boundless.org. Focus on the family. God wants true disciples, ones that think like him, talk like him, walk like him. Disciples that bring shalom to the chaos of this world. Pursue that path with the RVL Discipleship Series. Bible scholar Ray Vanderlaan will give you the tools to understand the Bible more deeply and inspire you to be a passionate follower of Christ. Watch the first episode at rvldiscipleship.com.